It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You, the listening audience, will have the opportunity through episodes in this podcast to learn, dissect, and grapple with some of the issues involving those of us separated from our biological family. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? I'm going to keep it going this week with Hyreth Hope and Healing. I consider this episode part two of Togetherness Heals. I'm enjoying getting to know more NPEs from our community who are intentional about acknowledging the intersections between adoptees and the MPEs, Misattributed Parentage Event Groups. With that being said, my next guest today is Annie Persico. She is an NPE who I had the pleasure of meeting shortly after connecting with Cindy, who can be heard on last week's episode. Annie's journey of discovering a non-parental event about a decade ago had me on the edge of my seat as she shared a part of her story. She has had the gift of time in coming to some level of acceptance. Cindy once believed one thing about herself only to learn something entirely different after receiving the results of a DNA test. During our time together, she was vulnerable and transparent in the hopes that something she says might resonate with us. Allow me to introduce you to Annie, who was born and raised in the Bronx, New York. Along with serving on the board of Hyreth Hope and Healing, she has been a legal assistant for more than 35 years and currently working for a large New York City law firm for nearly 20 years. She has been married to her wife since 2004, and they have a dog, a blind cat, and seven tropical birds. Annie enjoys playing video games, reading, and most of all, playing amateur genealogists, both for herself and others. As I get to know her better, I'm looking forward to all the great things we can learn from each other. Well, Annie, I am so delighted to have this conversation with you. I'll first ask you, how are you doing in the, the place you reside? I am doing great. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, I have to say that I do enjoy, much to my own surprise, I do enjoy doing these podcasts. I've done several in my journey. I am doing really well. It's Saturday and I couldn't be happier. Very good. Well, I know we met recently, along with Cindy and Aaron, as you all prepare for Hyreth Hope and Healing's retreat, I believe, this October. You have, I think, three each year, but the one in October is, is the meeting that I was in on because I'll get to participate. Oh, yeah. I love the retreats. They're so, they're so wonderful. Yes, I really wanted to have you on as well as Cindy 
and Aaron because I am so new to your community. I know it's kind of like becoming our community because we have some things in common. You're not an adoptee. However, as an NPE, and, and I know you'll define that for me, there are thing, things that come up for you all that come up for us uh, when it comes to not knowing our identity. Uh, let's start there with what is an NPE? An NPE, it has a couple of different, I don't want to say definitions because the result is the same, but a couple of different meanings of the acronym kind of morphed into NPE, meaning not parent expected. As an adult, we take a DNA test, usually for fun, to find out, you know, are we Italian, are we Irish, are we Norwegian? And we find out that one of our parents is not actually biological. The vast majority at this point is the paternal parent. My dad is not my dad. So that's in a nutshell that's what NPE means. My dad is not my dad. It's as simple as that. And most of us have no idea that the man we thought was our biological father actually is not. Mm. Yes. I recently heard MPE, another acronym, is an umbrella. Would you describe it that way? Yes. That stands for misattributed parentage. That includes adoptees, donor-conceived people late discovery adoptees, and NPEs. So it's more of an all-inclusive term. And I think the genealogy community generally is focusing more on that all-inclusive type of, of, of term. But I think for the most part, we NPEs kind of like our little title. Right. You know, when you get into not so much genealogy in itself, but the DNA portion of it, it kind of gives us our own, it distinguishes us, I guess is a good way to, to say it, from the rest of the community. As you are an adoptee, we have some donor-conceived people, you know, so we all have our little niche. M-P-E covers everybody. That's a beautiful answer. Because, see, I'm learning. I'm learning pretty quickly, but I, I do have a lot more to learn. And before I went to this Untangling Our Roots Summit in Louisville recently, I had met you. And I was, like, wondering, like, first of all, how long is it going to take me to learn this? But I, I'm catching on pretty good. And one of the things that came out of the summit that I attended was that there is strength in numbers. And so for for all of us to come together suggests that we have support from each other, but also for the like the public at large, for society at large to understand how important identity is. We're learning, adoptees are learning from your group and the other groups just how important we can get the message out about what we deal with. Right. You know, I feel that that Pirate Hope and Healing, that's kind of our mission, right? To bring all of these groups together to heal together. Mm -hmm. Because we do have a lot of overlap, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like, for instance, I was brought up in an Italian environment. So my dad was Italian. He was first-generation American. 
but I am not Italian at all. So I have the issue of genetic mirroring. I don't have anybody that I look like in my family because my parentage is incorrect. And that's, that's something that adoptees suffer with. I don't know if suffer is the right word, but experience. Adoptees also experience that type of, there's no connection. If you, you know, and I think that people outside of our communities don't really understand how important that connection is to sit there and say, oh, you know, I look like Uncle Joe or I look like Aunt Teresa, that kind of thing. I don't look like anybody to me. And what I've learned over um, over time is that's incredibly important to to your sense of self. Yes, I always felt like an outcast in my own family because now I come to find out, well, I kind of was. You know, whether they knew it or not, I have no idea. But I knew I didn't look like them. I knew I didn't act like them, even even when I was young. So I never had much of a connection in that way with my family. You know, I think that's important, especially as a child, to feel as part of something. Right. Absolutely. A part of your journey, I'd like you to share for the audience, um, from wherever you want to start? Um, well, the beginning is usually a good place <laughs> to start. And I'll try to make it brief. I started doing genealogy back around 2000. And what brought me into researching my family tree was Ellis Island. As I mentioned earlier, my dad was a first-generation American. His parents were immigrants. They came through Ellis Island like a lot of people's uh, ancestors. Ellis Island put their manifests online. The internet was relatively new uh, at that time. We basically were still all on AOL. I found my grandmother, my dad's mother. She was nine years old, and she came over uh, in 1903 with her four sisters and their mother. Their father was already here in the U.S. with his brothers, establishing home for them to come. The genealogy bug bit me back then, and I did what I could to, to research. Ancestry.com was relatively new, you know, so their records were limited to, like, public access kind of stuff, phone directories and things like that. But I was able to kind of put, put together a basic family tree. There were things I knew, and there were things I found out like names, basically names, you know, who was related to who. I never knew any of my grandparents, so I, I wasn't lucky enough to get those stories from them. So I was kind of like flying blind a little bit, but it was a nice little hobby that I had. In 2011, Ancestry sent out emails to current users, current subscribers, basically saying, hey, we've developed this DNA test and it might help you find, you know, like we kind of where you came from, you know, where, where in Italy, I knew, I knew they were from the Naples area. I, I didn't know if I still had family over there or anything like that. They, they said, you know, if you, if you're interested, respond to this email and we'll, you'll be like among the first to be able to take this test. So, of course, um, I said, well, yeah, I definitely want to do that. So I, I responded, and about 
I don't know, early 2012, the tests became widely available. So I ordered my test. It came and I spit in the tube and I sent it off. And about, you know, eight, eight or so weeks later, my results came back. What I expected to be half Irish and half Italian was 100% Irish. Mm. I said, well, you know, that's weird. Like, why wouldn't I show any Italian? And I said to myself, well, I guess they don't have a very big database yet. And I guess, you know, Italian people haven't taken the test. I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know what Sensor Morgans were. I didn't even realize that they were going to send me people that I matched with. You know, mm-hmm. it was just all there was just no here spit in this tube, then we'll get back to you kind of thing. And there was no explanation of how anything worked. So, you know, I again, flying blind, I moved on. So that was 2012. I kept getting emails over time. Oh, you have new matches on Ancestry, blah, blah, blah. Every time I went back to it, I kept expecting that Italian to show up and it never did. And I finally started thinking, well, gee, I, I think that there's a problem. Here. Did they mess up my test? So I called the ancestry, like many of us do, had some stern words for them. <laughs> say, <laughs> this reminds say me that. of, yeah, this reminds me of yeah. LDAs, what they feel like you know, they call ancestry because they, they must have this wrong. They must be wrong. I'm mad. Where's right. my Italian, you know? <laughs> when I called, They've gotten better from what I understand, but it was basically, this means that your father isn't your father. And I was stunned. I was like, how, how are you so blunt about that? Right, right. Right. You know, and I was like, no, I don't believe it. That's not my mom. You know, she would never do anything like that. You know, we all think our mother's a saint. Mm -hmm. They're never going to do anything like that. So I, I said to the person on the phone, I said, well, if I take a test from another company, and it turns out that you're wrong, what can you do for me? You know, can you give me my money back? So they said, well, we really can't give you your money back because that's the fee for the lab. But we would be happy to discuss your subscription. So they were willing to, if they made a mistake, they were willing to at least do something for me financially. Right. You know, not not give me anything, but maybe maybe extend my subscription for free or whatever. I ordered a 23andMe test. And I also called my sister and I told my sister what was going on. And I said, you know, if I get a test, would you take it if I get you a test? And she said, yeah, sure. I'll give you the money. You know, you don't have to buy it for me. I'll take it. No problem. So at the same time I did 23andMe, I did, I, my sister did a test. Her test came back as pretty much half Irish and half Italian. And my 23andMe came back as 100% Irish. In that moment, so, I can't even imagine yeah. in that moment you know, how you and felt. It, it, well, you know, it's like I, I, I was more stunned than anything. I was in a position where I just figured this was just going to be a mystery that I'd have to live with for the rest of my life. You know, because my parents are long dead. My mom died in 1994 and my dad died in 1990. So I had nobody to ask. Right. You know, I, I, I couldn't even call my mom and say, what, what is happening here? Do you have something you need to tell me? I, I, I wish I had that opportunity, but, you know, if wishes were horses. So one of my very, very best friends, we've known each other since we're 13 years old and I'm 61. We've known each other since high school. She's adopted and she's always known she's adopted. 
you know, I went to her. I was like, what am I going to do? You know, how am I going to, I'm not going to be able to find anything out. She said, well, you know, whatever you got to do, you know, I'll help you. You know, I'll support you. I, I kind of have a feeling of what you're going through in a way. You know, so I had a support system. My wife is incredibly supportive. I really have had no negative experience in in that particular arena. Like nobody ever said to me, oh, aren't you over this already? Why are you still talking about this? I got none of that. So I'm incredibly lucky in that way. So anyway, back to my story. In 2015, I got a message from a woman named Shannon. This was about the closest match that was not a maternal match that I've had up till this point. So this is like three and a half years. Shannon sends me a message and she says, hi, you know, I, I see we come up as a pretty high match, but I can't figure out how you fit in my tree. She said, do you know how we're related? So I looked at her tree in my matches. All I see are names of people I don't know. So I wrote her back. I said, I've looked. I can't figure it out. Uh, we have no common names. So, and I said, if I can figure it out, I'll get back to you. But thanks for reaching out. You know, that was that. And I went on and I continued trying to do my research and I continued trying to find out. And I'd go back and forth. I wouldn't do it for a while. I'd go back. I'd look at my matches. Nothing, nothing closer than this Shannon person. You know, here I'm hoping for like at least a first cousin. Uh, at least I could kind of narrow it down because again, I had no way of figuring out anything, nothing. So, so um, you didn't reach out to anybody that you were seeing on your list. No, your matches. because they weren't really close enough right. as far as that goes. You know, I figured, well, if I reach out, they're not going to know anything. You know, if, uh, if I'm looking at a second cousin, that's like a cousin's parents child. I mean, you know, I, I, that's so far removed that mm-hmm. it's, it's not likely that they're going to know who my mother is. I never reached out to anybody until 2017. Mm. In 2017, I got a match that said first cousin. I'm like, finally, somebody closer than this woman, Shannon. So I sent an email. This person's name is Ed. So I email Ed and I said to Ed, hi, you know, my name is Annie. This might sound like a weird question. But I had some discrepancy in my DNA test. Can you just tell me if your mom had any brothers? Ed emails me back immediately. And he said, oh, yeah, my mom had two brothers. They were priests. Mm. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> are you freaking kidding me right now? They were Catholic priests, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, my God. We can't make this stuff up, can we? You can't make this stuff up, right? So I go and I look at his tree, and I see these priests. And, you know, and I see his mom has, I I think, uh, I want to say there were like seven or eight sisters and two brothers, and the two brothers were priests. It turns out a couple of the sisters were nuns. So these were like, you know, devout Catholic, Irish Catholic people. Mm -hmm. So Eddie emails me again. He says, you know, I don't know a lot about this. I don't know who belongs to who. But my sister does. Let me email my sister and I'll get back to you. A couple of days later, I get an email from his sister. So she basically gave me an outline of her whole maternal family. Mm-hmm. And she said, I, you know, I hope this helps you. I'm looking at all the names and I see a name, Brandon. 
on her on her list. I said, Brandon, Brandon, that name sounds familiar. And then I go back to my match list. There is Shannon Brandon on my list. Mm. I said, huh. So I go back to Shannon Shannon's tree. And I look on her tree, and I see all the pe- a lot of the people from Ed's family on her tree. So I email Ed. I said, do you know Shannon? And I emailed Shannon. I said, hi, do you know Ed? And they both came back, and they said, oh, yeah, we're, we're second cousins or something. So I'm like, okay, that doesn't help me right now if you're both related. Well, it turned out they were not related to each other. So if you can follow this, Shannon's father's brother was married to Ed's mother's sister. Hmm. They were my grandparents, those two people. Shannon's father's brother and Ed's mother's sister were my grandparents. Hmm. This literally fell into my lap over the course of like three days. My grandparents had five children, three boys, two girls. So now all I had to do was narrow down which of the three boys. But I look at the names and, you know, again, they don't mean anything to me. You know, now I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, how can I put my mother in the same place as any one of these three men, right, in, in 1960? So fast forward a few months, and I'm still emailing back and forth with Ed and with Shannon separately. Ed tells me. He said, well, my wife and I are retired. They live in Rochester, New York. And he said, we go to Florida for the winter with snowbirds. We visit with one of the daughters. So so of the five children, the one daughter, Jackie, was the oldest, lives in Florida. So Ed and his wife would visit Jackie when they would go to Florida. He said, I'll see if I can maybe work it into the conversation about her brother's you know, and see like who worked where and who did what. And, you know, because I had given Ed a lot of information about my mom, where she worked, she was on a bowling league, where we lived, you know, anything that could identify her in a certain spot at that time. Right. Yeah. Ed said, you know, I'll figure out a way. We'll work it into the conversation. My aunt Jackie has two children, but they were both, (laughs) oddly enough, they were adopted in so far as uh, taking a DNA test for either one of them wouldn't help me because they're adopted. So when Ed went to visit with Jackie, he, he kind of chickened out. He said he emailed me later. He said, you know, I really couldn't figure out how to work it into the conversation. But I talked to her daughter. Her name is Kira. I talked to Kira and I told her, if you're willing, she'd be happy to speak to you. And she said she'll she'll talk to her mom about it and see what information she could find out. So I then start emailing with Kira. She tells me that she did tell her mom in typical Irish fashion. She said, I don't want to talk about it. That's my brother's business. I don't want to know anything about it. We're not going to talk about this. Mm. Kira tells me, don't worry she'll come around, we'll figure it out, we'll do whatever we can to help you. So you got a sense that she had information. In a way, I kind of thought 
she might know something. Mm -hmm. That in, in 2018, Ed emailed me again. He said, we're going over to see Jackie again for Easter. Let me see what Kira has found out since then. Aunt Jackie and Kira had another visitor on Easter of 2018, a woman named Emma. Emma was the daughter of one of the three sons. So one of Jackie's brothers, she was the daughter for that brother. In conversation during dinner, Ed's wife asked Emma, didn't your dad work at IBM? And Emma said, oh, no, no, my dad worked at Sinclair and Valentine. And that's where my mom worked. Mm, bingo. So, bingo. <laughs> so it was funny. I had met a couple years later, about two years later. It was actually right before the pandemic. So in 2020, I met Ed and his wife. And I went to Aunt Jackie's house and met Aunt Jackie and Kira. But he was telling me that story about when, when, it, when they found out. And he said, he and his wife said it was all they could do. Like they felt like cartoon, you ever, you know, like on a cartoon when someone surprised their eyes pop out, mm -hmm. he said they felt like that <laughs> like, <laughs> because they knew where my mom worked. Right. Mm. So anyway, so that's how I was able to identify which of the three brothers was my birth father. Wow. So like yeah. for that year, right, from 2017 to 2018, you got your detective hat on and, you know, oh, the, totally. the whole genealogy piece going. And mm -hmm. what are you feeling? Because it sure sounds like it would be a roller coaster, which a lot of adoptees in search go through, search and reunion. You know what I felt? I felt incredibly lucky to have strangers that were willing to help me. Mm -hmm. And I also felt lucky because... I mean, when I tell you it was like dominoes falling, that's how fast it like from the time from the first time I contacted Ed until I, I was able to confirm who my birth father was was less than six months. Wow. Like all the information was just it was really just dumped in my lap. And I just had to kind of sort it all out. You know, so many people don't even get that. So I did feel incredibly lucky. I think by that point, I was already, I was already resigned to the needle in the haystack. And I thought I was never going to find anything. I was grateful and thankful that I was able to, you know, make this identification. Unfortunately, he died in 2003. So I was never able to meet him. Mm. Yeah, I'm sorry you weren't able to meet him. Yeah, me too. I know 2011, it's been over 10 years since mm. that whole, you got to be kidding me, you got the wrong yeah. test. <laughs> this is not my, this is my results. This is not, right? this is not my results. Right, like get your act together, Ancestry, <laughs> please. From that time till now, I'm sure you've been able to help a lot of people who more recently discovered this non-paternal event. And how would you say you've best been able to do that? What's made it so um, meaningful? What what work you, know, you do? I, it, yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I mean, you know, it, it's it's funny how we end up in places that we never thought we'd be. When we first started with with our retreats, we were part of a different group. Uh, I'm not going to mention it 
here, but suffice it to say, we call it the big group. And I think most NPEs who are active in the NPE community know what I mean Mm -hmm. when I talk about the big group. And I started out there, I think most of us did. We, We splintered off once we had our first retreat. Aaron and Cindy organized it after a meet and greet that they had. I didn't know anybody. You know, I never even, I didn't even go to the meet and greet that they had. Mm. So I went in there blind into that first retreat. You know, they, they like when I, when I tell this, I went in, didn't know anyone. I said later over the weekend, I said, you know, when I walked in, I felt like I was home. Mm. You know, just being with other NPEs. At that point, Cindy was the only adoptee in the at the retreat. Everybody else was an NPE. And the feeling of just being with people who get it is so healing. I mean, I think I could have gone even that, that first weekend, even if there were no facilitators there, I think it would have been incredibly healing. There's, there's something so... Like you, you feel like you belong, right. and it was the first time I ever felt that. Yeah, uh, I know what you, know, you mean. I've often described you know, it as instead of having to fit in, I feel like I belong. Yeah, in the right. adoption community. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, we do encourage people to meet face to face, even if it's just somebody in your same city or passing through and have a cup of coffee one on one you know, a couple of, a few people going out for a pizza or for dinner. I mean, it's just so, like, you don't have to explain yourself. Right. And you know, the high-risk hope and healing, what I love about what you all do is you do really include adoptees and specify that, right? LDAs yes. and, and so forth. My audience, I just want them to know, you know, the great work you're doing includes us very important that we're inclusive yeah of all the of all the communities in in the in you know under that umbrella and we learn a lot from each other you know i mean i had been around various adoptees my whole life but uh, you know just even just cindy has taught me so much about adoptees and and struggles of adoptees and i think too many people ascribe to the sunshine and unicorns version of adoption. Right. I I think it's important to recognize, you know, the trauma that adoptees go through. And the hopes we have to jump through, especially like I come from a closed system. So the records were sealed and Illinois changed its law in 20, well, in 2011, I got to request my original birth certificate and see it. I was 48 years old. And if I had wanted any of these documents prior to that, I could not by law get them. And, and one of the things that came up recently is for your group, for NPEs, there are issues with your original birth certificate because there's a name on there listed as your father, I'm sure, that's not your biological father. That's not correct. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I work in the legal field, so I understand the legalities of it. Right. And I do try with, with my background. I'm not a lawyer, but with my legal background, I do try to explain that to people because there is an importance to the legal document, but that doesn't take into account the personal effect. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Like it, it means it matters to have the correct information. Sure it does. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. It, it, you know, e, e, you know, there's the legal aspect and then there's the human aspect. Mm-hmm. And too, too often those don't overlap correctly because some people don't understand why it's hard to change a vital record. What it all boils down to is property rights, honestly, you know, vital records, mm-hmm. you know, inheritance rights. They don't want people to be able to say, well, gee, I think I'm Jeff Bezos' child and go and change their birth record because then you have a claim to Jeff Bezos' billions of dollars, right? But on the other hand, you certainly, as an adoptee, have the right to see where you came from. Sure. I don't don't understand why they can't just be two documents. You know, when I was adopted, there's this amended birth certificate was created. And that's fine, like what you were just saying, the legal legality of it. But this original birth certificate, why is it sealed? I'm never to see it again, not to know who my birth mother is. Like, it doesn't make any sense for me not to know the truth. Yeah. And see, I come out of law enforcement these documents that we, whenever we requested them or needed to review different things, we're in search of the truth because it's important that we're not penalizing the wrong person. So if I'm getting right. documents that are incorrect or untruthful, it impacts a number of people's lives. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so to me, that right there, that stood out to me the most um, when I was trying to find records and get records and get the truth on the records. Like, why would that not be understood by, you know, like government when it comes well, to Well, you this? know, I, I think it was to protect the, I, I want to say the person facilitating the adoption, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I, I'm sure you and your audience knows who Georgia Tan is. Georgia Tan was basically stealing people's babies. These laws were meant to protect her and people like her because, you know, if you're going to, if you have a a wealthy family who wants a baby and you go to this adoption home or this this unwed mother's home or whatever maternity home, if you have a, a, a woman there who, a young woman there who doesn't want to relinquish her child, well, apparently it's okay to just take it. And give it to somebody else for lots and lots of money. Oh, I'm sorry, your child has died. Oh, well, having a sealed record is protecting that person. Yeah, it's just that's just heartbreaking. Yeah, of course it is. It's mm-hmm. terrible. So you have come a long way, I would say. Would you say? From, I would. From I yeah, would. from 2011 but, you know, to I, now. I, I have, but even I have my days. Yeah. You know, where I'm just feeling some kind of way and it sometimes it comes out of nowhere and, you know, there are still triggers out there and, and most of the time I can't even identify what they are, you know, so. It's, so you it's, have that in common with adaptees for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Do you think it's you know? kind of a lifelong healing? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I would have to say that, that I don't think we ever truly heal. Mm-hmm. I think it, it becomes a new normal that we learn to live with. I have to say that for me personally, I think I had an easier time than a lot of NPEs 
simply because my parents were deceased mm. and because I didn't have a close relationship that, with them when they were alive. Looking back, I can see there was trauma that I didn't know was trauma. There was just lack of emotion, lack of emotional neglect, Yeah, I would say. Or misattunement. How about that? Yeah, you know, (laughs) yes. And I was was expected to be a certain person growing up, but I was never taught how to be that, right? Mm. I was expected to... I, I don't want to say raise myself. I mean, I never wanted for anything. My dad was a postal worker. My mom was a secretary. We weren't living in squalor. We weren't escaping in the night because the rent was due. I, I had no experience like that. But there was also no affection, lack of affection. I, I had spoken to my sister about this once, and she's six years older than me. So she, of course, had a different upbringing in a way you know when you have siblings that are that far apart in age you know you're brought up in the same family but every child has a different upbringing you know what I mean if that makes sense oh Um, sure but yeah I I said you know I always felt like we were an inconvenience to them Mm. like they had kids because it was expected that they would have kids right not because they wanted kids Mm. right they were depression era children my, my mom and dad, they grew up during World War II and my dad was in the Navy. And, and, you know, so they were expected when you come out of the service, you're going to get married and you're going to have kids. And my mom always worked. She never stayed home for any of us. So she was pretty independent as a woman for the time, for the 50s and 60s. She had her own bank account. She had her own credit card. She drove. My dad didn't drive. You know, so in that respect, that was a good role model for me. It made me more independent, I think. But on the other hand, it was no affection. I, I was never told I love you. I was hardly ever like, you know, there was no physical affection, except for my dad's sisters would provide that in my house. No, there was an ex- expectation that I would go to school, that I would graduate, that I would just go to work. College was not an option. It was just expected of me. You know what I mean? Right. Thinking back to what you've shared about your story and and what you've just shared now about your mom's independence, have you come up with an idea of what happened between your mother and your biological father? Well, (laughs) so my, (laughs) my biological father had six children plus me. Okay. Mm-hmm. My mom, when I was conceived in 1960, had an eight-year-old and a five-year-old at home, but she worked. My biological father was a few years younger than her. He was married and he had two children at home. When I was conceived, his wife was in the hospital giving birth to their third child. Mm. I don't know if it was an ongoing thing. I don't know if it was a one night thing. I don't know if it was an assault. Knowing what I know about my birth father, I don't think it was. I, I would be very, very surprised. 
if that were the case. He was, from what I understand, he was very charming. He was incredibly good looking, you know, and, right. and his own brother described him as a scoundrel. Mm. So his own brother was not surprised that there was a, an extra child out there. So um, what has what has that been like, like discovering your biological father's brother and then your siblings um, even? I can tell you that right now I have a great relationship with Aunt Jackie. So she was the oldest and my father was the next and they were about a year apart in age. So they were, they, they, uh, I'm sure you've heard the term Irish twins. Mm-hmm. So Irish twins are, are siblings that are born like within a year to a year and a half of each other. So they were always very close. So I, and I've become actually very close with her. The other siblings, there are only two others out of the five that are still alive. You know, and they're all up in age. They're in the 80s. My Aunt Jackie is 92 years old. You know, so right. they're old. Right. I have not met the other two that are still alive. I've met a couple of other cousins. And I met one brother out of the six. One is deceased. So there are five of them left. I wrote them a letter, a very lengthy letter. And I included photos. I told them how I came to determine that their father was also my father. The brother that I sent the letter to contacted me about two weeks after he received. I sent it by FedEx and he contacted me about two weeks later. We had brief email conversations. We met once. I think on his part, it was more curiosity than anything. Mm-hmm. and they don't have any interest in meeting me. Their mother is still alive, and I think that has something to do with it. Yeah. But I also think that they had their father on a pedestal, and when I showed up, he became a human being. See, that's just another example to me, what you just shared, and I really appreciate that, sharing that for the listeners. It's just another example of what we as adoptees in reunion many times, and even in the search process, but especially in reunion, managing these relationships when, for example, the birth mother didn't tell anybody, mm-hmm. and, you know, didn't disclose that she relinquished a child. And a lot of times those siblings or extended family members too, they're processing you surfacing, right? So that's yeah. what I hear you describe. That was in 2019 when I reached out, like the end of 2018 was when I first sent the letter. And then we met in 2019. It was actually kind of a spur of the moment. I happened to be in Philadelphia with some friends for the weekend. He works in Philadelphia and lives in South Jersey, so nearby. And I emailed him like on a whim, not even thinking that he would respond. And I said, you know, I'm in town, I'm leaving Monday night. He emailed me back pretty quickly and he said, yeah. So we met in the morning, the, the following morning. I didn't sleep a wink all night. <laughs> I was so nervous. Right. We had a nice, we, we sat, uh, had breakfast for about two hours. We conversed about different things. I had a story that I told him about a cup, a silver cup that I had. 
that was given to my mom when I was born. And he has the same cup that was given to his dad when he was born or my, our dad when he was born. So I kind of hope that we bond over kind of, you know, some of the stuff. And then it just went back to me emailing him and me getting brief responses. And I finally just said, you know what? I'm done. Mm-hmm. Forget it. I'm, I'm not willing to put this kind of effort into someone who's clearly not interested. Right. Yeah. Um, I emailed him in June of 2020, like kind of when the pandemic was out of that, the, the beginning craziness, you know, and moving into that first summer just to say, hey, just, you know, thinking about you, hope everyone's healthy, hope nobody got COVID kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the response was, again, yeah, thank you. We're fine. I hope you're well. That was it. Yeah. So I, you know, and that was the last communication I had with any of them. The rest of them had no interest in meeting me. Many adoptees experience what you just described. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited about your organization, High Rith Hope and Healing, and others like National Association of Adoptees and Parents and Right mm-hmm. to Know. I'm excited about all these organizations that are interested and open to discussions and and having retreats and conferences together. I yeah. uh, I'm really yeah. really looking forward to that. And what would you say is meaningful? Been the most meaningful thing about being connected to Hyreth Hope it, and Healing. It's, it's it's just the you know the in-person connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean uh, I can say that I have become dear and hopefully lifelong friends with people that I otherwise would probably never be friends with. Mm -hmm. Circumstances being different, we're a group who we have some things in common, we have other things not so much. As a group, you know, the the connection, it can't be, I can't even describe it. Like I said to Aaron and Cindy, like I feel it in my heart. I feel connected to the community in my heart. Yeah, I and, think you describe and, it in the name, Hyreth Hope and Healing, I think. Yeah. That's it. I mean, I, I, I just hope that, I, I, and I feel like telling my story, the reason I do it is because if I tell my story to someone and someday they're sitting there and they get a FedEx that says, hey, I might be your relative, that person who had the courage to send that mail or that email or that message doesn't get a door slammed in their oh, face. You just gave me chills. Remembers, <laughs> yeah, because someone remembers my story. Yeah, you just gave me you chills. And, and, you know, that was one of my questions and has been lately as I talk to more and more NPEs is, would you rather know or not know the truth? I have no regrets. taking that DNA test. Yeah. I have no regrets. Well, I just so appreciate you taking your time out to talk to me. And is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share? No, I don't think so. (laughs) You know, I I think we kind of of covered a lot. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I um, think you shared so much. And I, 
love how you, you explain so well because I know these acronyms are new to me and are likely to be very new to other adoptees or listeners in general. I think it's important for us to understand where we are right now and why we're where we are wanting to come together and understand how we have so many similarities. I know people who have questioned whether, and they're not adoptees, but they've questioned. They just wonder, is that really my biological father or is, you know, his brother? Like they have these right. questions and yeah. some people don't want to know, like they, they would never do a DNA test. But others do want to know. And, and I think it is an individual choice. I think we covered quite a bit. And I, I just appreciate you helping me and so many others better understand what your goals are that are many times very similar to ours. I know right. late discovery adoptees, LDAs can certainly relate because I know way too many that were just doing a DNA test because they were trying to fill out the tree more. And right. at 60 years old, none of the names that they were matching with they had ever seen before. It's heartbreaking. It, it is. It, it really is. And, you know, you can just see secrets are so damaging for not only the secret keeper, but for everyone around them. Right. Finding this out kind of put a lot of puzzle pieces in, in place for me. I mean, I, I feel badly for my mom. I do. Because my my birth father was a redhead. <laughs> she was going to have a lot of explaining to do if I came out as a redhead. Right. <laughs> Having a Southern Italian dad, I mean, my sister and my brother were very dark. You know, their skin, their skin was dark, their hair was dark, and if I came out... so. That must have been highly traumatic for her. Mm. Leading up to my birth, a lot of people have anger toward their mothers. I did too at first. I would just say to your listeners that while you can be angry at your mothers, please give them a little bit of grace because we don't know their situation at that time. I agree. And when I kind of came to that acceptance, I think my uh, my whole perspective, my whole outlook on this whole thing changed. Thank you for sharing that. This has been great, and thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Thank you for having me. This was this was great. I, 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 I just looked up at the clock, and I was like, wow, it's been more than an hour. I believe it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I'm into respect no, your no, time. No, it's okay. I... Listen, I could talk about this all day long. My wife is constantly, she goes, oh, my God, you're not going to tell the story again. <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> so it's good for me to be able to tell other people. Right. You know, I, give her, I give her a break, you know. <laughs> there is a part in this episode when Annie reveals her thoughts about her mother's decision to take a secret to the grave. And I deeply appreciated her detective work to put some of the pieces together about her beginnings. Some people don't want to know the truth about their start in life, and others most certainly do want to know, or at least get as close to it as possible. I'm in the latter group while respecting another person's desire to do otherwise. Annie believes 
A part of her healing is related to finding other people who have experienced a similar discovery of their true parentage, identity, and ethnicity. I couldn't agree more. Whether it is a support group, a general meeting, in-person conferences, and of course, retreats, it is through these opportunities we hopefully get to spend quality time with open-minded individuals that we share things in common. Many NPEs, like adoptees, have to wrestle with the information found on their original birth certificate being falsified or missing altogether. NPEs many times are expected to be silent about their truth. And like adoptees, NPEs often don't get the answers to their questions from those who know it and never intended for their secrets to be known. Thank you, Annie, for having this conversation with me. I love knowing that when I have a curiosity about genealogy, I can call on you for guidance. You're a wealth of information that you so freely give to those of us desiring to know more about that subject. I plan to be a student of life from here on out, all of its mysteries. You already have played a big part in helping me to better understand your group, its mission, and how we can grow, all grow together now and well into the future. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash land. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community. Thank you so much for being here.